Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hello, everybody. Good evening to the sh- Good evening. Welcome to the show. I got to thank you all for being just so nice to me. <laughs> so being so nice to me and allowing me, uh, allowing me that, that time last night where I had to just leave. It's, uh, trust me, I didn't want to do it. I had gone through so much work already. It's 6.36 p.m. or something last night. I'm sitting here and I'm going, I, I'm going to throw up. I'm pretty sure I'm going to throw up. I actually went to the uh, to the garbage out there twice, thinking, "All right, this is going to this is going to come up," and then I I actually leaned over the gar- garbage once, and then I just started getting whiffs of the, the cat litter that Anthony had probably uh, cleaned out the other day. And I was like, "Oh, you know what? I'm going to I'm going to inhale something toxic here. I'd rather just what." So I I came back in here. I said, "All right, you know what? Uh, I don't have a guest tonight. I'm just going to reshuffle some things, and we'll get around to everything as the time goes on." And um, and that was it. Now, by the time I got home, the nausea had abated a little bit. And I think, I mean, the cramps, that those are almost completely gone. Uh, but the nausea, I really think that it was because I took, um, I took some vitamins. And I wasn't an empty stomach. I'm not that dumb. But I only had some, I had some toast and I had a banana just so I had something in there so I can just take take some vitamins. And I think that was what brought on the nausea. And I thought that it was just that whatever was going on below was making it way to the top deck. And I just like, all right, I got to go. So um, that was, uh, it was much needed. Thank you guys and gals. So sorry that I couldn't be there for your morning commu- commutes and your lunch breaks and whatever else. But we're together tonight and we have a pretty great show. We've got two guests on at the same time, uh, wonderful guests, both 
we have Timothy Gordon and Jay Dyer at the same time. And we're going to be talking about the new faith, a new faith that seems to be um, sprouting up and being built up all around us while everything that we knew to be traditional Western society has been slowly replaced, demeaned, and erased. What is it all about? And we're going to be able to open up the door to that conversation through a couple of different articles that I have lined up here. One that came from, from Jay. And I think, uh, I think this will be really interesting, especially since Jay comes from an Eastern Orthodox perspective and Tim, of course, Roman Catholic. So uh, I, this will be great. I can't wait for it. And tomorrow is going to be good, too, because it's going to be mostly about stupidity. Well, maybe not stupidity, but just dumb, uh, dull What's happening to people cognitively? Is there a cognitive decline going on all around? I saw a great uh, a great thread that we can build on, but there's also other things there too, especially now that I saw these these performances in, in the House of Representatives when they took Elon Omar's uh, Foreign Affairs Committee chair away from her and all the uh, all the ladies of the squad of the squad got up there and started crying and shaking and gyrating. <laughs> it's going to be a night of stupidity tomorrow. I'll tell you that much. But uh, this will be good. I'm looking forward to it. And I hope you are too. I, I shared all the live links. So please get us out there and, uh, and, and share away. Share away and get people here and like the broadcast. That's the big thing. That is the big thing to like this, especially if you're watching on YouTube and Rumble or Rumble. So away we go. First thing I want to do is thank my sponsor for the evening. That is BlueMonsterPrep.com. You don't want to be without anything that Blue Monster Prep provides if, uh, if the globalists have their way. Trust me. So go and buy yourself some insurance that you can eat and some insurance that will help you drink even the dirtiest of water in bad situations all their filtration products their communication first aid get to bluemonsterprep.com it is a smaller company compared to the other ones that uh, everybody else is sponsored by but they just do just as well if not better work than everybody else and Nobody surpasses their customer service. You know why? Because they're partial to us. They are Franklies. Get in touch with Pat and Gina. Say, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to start. I have only a little bit of money. and But I know that we need to, uh, we need to be better prepared. Go do it. And then buy yourself some silver. But you can get all that stuff on the affiliates page on quitefrankly.tv. All right. All right. Let's just jump right in, shall we? First one up is this a little update on this thread that i started the other day on the 31st of january the thread is boom what is the most important lie you have ever told we already have enough in here to have a wonderful show and like i said it goes without saying that lying is not nice but let's be honest it could sometimes be necessary tool for an objective good so I would love to know whether there have been times in your life that you've had to lie to buy yourself time in a sticky situation, to conceal a wonderful surprise for someone, perhaps, to uh, comfort or give hope to a loved one who desperately needs it in a certain mo moment, or have you ever had to lie to save your life? 
you can find that pinned to the top of the forum on quitefrankly.tv and I cannot wait for more of you to get on in there because so far it's just this is a good one this is a good one I like it um yes all right all right first things first we'll just do one thing with this I already said the anti-semitic thing all the well I guess that's a way to classify Ilhan Omar uh overall but uh she repeatedly used anti-semitic tropes oh there's that word everybody's gonna start you trope is the word of the month already and we're only two days into the month she repeatedly used anti-Semitic tropes and compared U.S. and Israel to Hamas and the Taliban. Kevin McCarthy explains why GOP gave squad member Omar the boot after hysterical AOC leapt to her defense. Now, let me just say, there, and I've said this before with Ilan Omar, there is plenty to be said about our foreign affairs in places like, and with places like Israel, all over the place. You know, Israel's not our, uh, it has has not created, it's not the only uh, uh, thing that creates problems for us. Um, but I am not ever going to give brownie points to a snake who stands opposed to everything else that is identifiably, identifiably American in a traditional sense, in a constitutional sense. I'm not going to do it. I'm not, you're, you're not going to use that jujitsu on me. I'm not going to give her any brownie points. Most people on the foreign affairs uh, committee should not be there based on their stances on domestic affairs, to be honest. But this woman's a snake, and I don't give a shit. And whereas we'll get into, we'll save like AOC for tomorrow because I just, she's just hilarious. That dumbbell. Here's Rashida Tlaib just being a woman. The gentlewoman's time has expired. Omar will not be silenced. The gentlewoman's time has expired. Omar. The gentleman's so time has expired. That our country is failing you today through this chamber. You the, belong the gentleman in that gentleman <laughs> Wait, I gotta hear it again. I love the screaming. The gentleman's time has expired. Omar, the gentleman's so time has expired. That our country is failing you today through this chamber. Through this chamber. <laughs> the cracking voice. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. They're just insufferable. Insufferable. There's no future. There's no future with this being popular. And I know that they are a, uh, they represent a very loud, squeaky minority, ideologically speaking. But, um, uh, uh, but we, we seem to be, I mean, it seems to be very hard to rebuff them and to, castigate them into the dustbin of history for being the clowns that they are uh they stick around and they're they're pretty tenacious gotta give them that all right i had this for last night we can do it right now here is a uh what's her name yasmin vosaging vosogian she's in on msnbc and she had some really interesting things to say she wanted to come out and talk about why she has not been on air for the last few weeks or whatever it was and um, she had some heart problems. She had some heart problems. You can, you can probably guess what this is all about. But listen to where it goes. I know it's been 36 hours, and you probably heard it 18,000 times. When I lose a night, I lose a, I, I lose a lot of time. 
But we'll just do it again together because it's not the same unless we do it. Ready? The health scare. On December 20th, I began to feel chest pains and they waxed and waned over a period of 10 days. I wasn't quite sure uh, what to make of it, but as they continued to get worse, I started to think something was actually wrong. Um, it was December 30th when I finally went to an urgent care and was told I had reflux. I didn't really buy it, but I was relieved it wasn't my heart. Uh, my body, though, was pretty certain uh, not to believe uh, the reflux. Hey, does anybody know if the typewriter jaw, uh, is that prior to, has that been around? Because she's, she looks like she's having some problems, problems uh, with her mouth. The next day, on December 30th, I woke up with severe pains both in my chest and in my left shoulder, and it was like a tightening in my chest when I took deep breaths. That got worse when I was laying flat. Hmm. I knew enough at that moment to understand that it could mean, could is the key word here, that I was having a heart attack, especially because it was happening in the left part of my shoulder. I want to remind you, I run seven miles three to four times a week, or I did. Um, I do yoga. I don't eat meat. I don't smoke. Well, eating meat. You probably should start eating meat. I drink occasionally. Not right now, though, because my doctor tells me I can't. Aside from probably not getting enough sleep and working too much, I'm a pretty healthy person. But on that day, I was anything but. My husband drove me to the emergency room, and from there, the nightmare that has been my January began. I was diagnosed with pericarditis, inflammation of the lining of my heart, brought on by a virus, a literal common cold. <coughs> Do you hear that? She did not buy that it was acid reflux, but the common cold, the common cold gave her pericarditis, okay? I also had fluid around my heart that had to be drained or else it could hinder the beating of my heart. I was hospitalized for four nights and transferred from a local hospital to NYU Langone here in New York City. On January 4th, I was finally discharged after doctors drained the fluid around my heart, and I bounced out of the hospital. I couldn't get out of there fast enough with the hopes I was on the mend. But that was not the end. Three days later, I was readmitted when I felt a flutter in my heart, like a butterfly. It was inside my chest. They determined I had developed myocarditis, inflammation mm. of the actual heart now, oh. the heart muscle. I remember being shepherded through the emergency room and wondering, is this it? It wasn't, thank God. Instead, I spent five more days in the hospital where they ran a battery of tests, adjusted my meds, and made sure nothing else was fueling what was happening. And in fact, in the end, it was still just the cold that was doing all of this. That it Oh, my God. I just, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Uh, this will actually be a great reference for tomorrow when we talk about the cognitive decline of people. Now, I know that people like Yasmin over here really need to believe it was the common cold, which, if you think about it, is is horrible, far more horrible to think about and consider than, you know, the other thing, because the common cold, geez, I mean, this should be this should be something that's taken everybody out all over the place. But of course, it's just she's an idiot. I'm happy she's alive. I don't wish harm on anybody. And her doctors are idiots. And she believed idiot doctors. And that's just where we are right now. So I just, there's that. Oh, here's one more thing for you. Here is, uh, here is Al Sharpton. Have you seen this? 
This is at the, the, the victim of the police beating in Memphis, his funeral. Al Sharpton was up there, and he, um, well, you'll hear it. That's why I'm still marching. Yeah. Yes, I got books out. Yes, I got a TV show, but I'm a mountain climber. I'm not going to stop till I get to the top of the mountain. You can call me names on right-wing television. I'm a mountain climber. I expect stumbles to come my way. I'm a mountain climber. You can disgrace me. You can discredit me. But I'm going to keep on climbing. I'm going to climb until Tyrese Nichols get justice. I'm going to climb until Eric Gardner gets justice. I'm going to climb until we change the laws. We're mountain climbers. We're not day traders. Okay. Well, uh, they, so there you go. He goes on for a little while longer in, in this particular clip. Uh, uh, so it's very nice that this old greasy bastard um, mentioned the deceased name once. You know, it's probably all that the family could afford. The, the family could probably only afford one mention of his name. And um, that's, that's, that, that actually happened. That's, that's actually happened. He uh, hawked some books and uh, talked about how he's in a constant battle with right-wing media, though nobody really even knows who he is anymore, and he's just been long since considered a hapless charlatan by people of all political and ideological persuasions. But, Mike, can you imagine if that was a funeral of someone you knew? Wow. I wonder how much he was paid for the one mention. No, I can only say his name once. That'll be another $15,000. Help me keep climbing. And then this. My God, this. Kamala Harris. Well, Mimology 101 or 102. Kamala Harris, uh, she had to give a, a space medal of honor to an astronaut or something. Listen to this. which brings me to May 30th, 2020. Bob and Doug returned to the Kennedy Space Center. They suited up, they waved to their families, and they rode an elevator up nearly 20 stories. Wow, 20 stories. They strapped in to their seats and waited as the tanks beneath them filled with tens of thousands of gallons of fuel. Are there third graders in the audience? Why is she talking like this? And then... And somebody has got to put the gain down on the microphone so we don't have to listen to every squishy flap of the inside of her fucking mouth! They launched. Oh. Sorry. We'll go back. Because if I'm going to suffer through this, you will too. Them filled with tens of thousands of gallons of fuel. And then they launched. Yeah, they did. <laughs> I'm. You know that scene in the office when 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 Toby and and Pam and and Oscar are caught by Michael doing the Finer Things Club in the break room. And Michael comes face to face with Toby and he's got the the little bow tie on and he goes, oh my God.
This is why people are leaving. It's just, this is, you know the thing that actually gets me with this, this, I don't know, this cankerous woman. This is, um, this is a personality that she chose to brand as her own, all right? This is not actually her. We know that she is a dour woman. We have seen it on debate stages. We have seen it when in her official capacity as a senator, uh, when she was just a, an average law person destroying people's lives over truancy in California. We know, we know what kind of a dour woman she is. And she chose this personality, this ditzy, walk into a brick wall kind of a, it, it's so weird and it's embarrassing. And uh, yeah, I, I hope that I hope that she's remembered like this forever, actually, because this is even worse than than uh, what she actually is. I think it's I think it's great that she per, she picked a personality that reflects even poorly, even more poorly on her than what she actually is behind the scenes. But um, that's it for right now. We're going to kick this one off and set the table for our two guests for the evening. Don't go anywhere. Share the show far and wide. If you're watching on YouTube or Rumble, please give it a like. And uh, that's how you can sponsor us this evening with a split-second click of the, of the mouse. Like it off. Like it off. Be right back. You let one ant stand up to us, then they all might stand up. Those puny little ants outnumber us a hundred to one. And if they ever figure that out, there goes our way of life. It's not about food. It's about keeping those ants in line. That's why we're going back. Does anybody else want to stay? Let's ride! that word often enough cankerous cankerous also cantankerous that's another good word to throw at people cantankerous cankerous is a little bit more severe I think it means like cancer causing or something <laughs> which is yes yes welcome all right so what do we have for you as we kick off the show here, quite frankly, it is a Thursday night, the second day of February. One year ago today, my grandmother passed away. One year ago today, it's just crazy. Crazy how much time we spend, how much time goes by. Man, oh man. But um, I'm happy to be here tonight and happy to be in the next year. Flipping pages, man, every day. So here's what I wanted to bring up. 
I found this one article that I thought would be nice, uh, a nice little lead into what we're doing tonight. And I'll bring it up over on this side just in case our guests show up and I don't see him. All right, so where is it? Here we go. It's from Market Watch. Here's the headline. There's a rise in middle-aged white deaths of despair. This rise in middle-aged white deaths of despair may be fueled by loss of religion, a new research paper argues. So-called deaths of despair, such as, uh, such as from suicide or alcohol abuse, have been skyrocketing for middle-aged whites in America. It's been blamed on various phenomenon, including opioid abuse, but a new research paper finds a different culprit, declining religious practice. The working paper from Tyler Giles of Wesley College, Daniel Hungerman of the University of Notre Dame, and Tamar Ostrom of the Ohio State University, looked at the relationship between religiosity and mortality from deaths of despair. The paper was circulated by the National Bureau of Economic Research. The authors noted that many measures of religious adherence began to decline in the late 1980s. They found that the large decline in religious practice was driven by the group experiencing the subsequent increases in mortality, uh, white middle-aged Americans without a college degree. Uh, let's see here. Without a college degree. States that experience larger declines in religious participation in the last 15 years of the 20th century saw larger increases in deaths of despair. The researchers looked at the, uh, the repeal of blue laws in particular. Blue laws limited commerce typically on Sunday mornings. These laws have been shown to be strongly related to religious practice, creating discrete changes in incentives to attend religious services that are plausibly unrelated to other drivers of religiosity, they said. The repeal of blue laws had a 5 to 10 percentage point impact on weekly attendance of religious services and increased the rate of deaths of despair by two deaths per 100,000 people they found, according for a reasonably large or accounting for a reasonably large share of the initial rise in the deaths of despair. What's also interesting is that the impact seems to be driven by actual formal religious participation rather than belief or personal activities like prayer. Quote, these results underscore the importance of cultural institutions such as religious establishments in promoting well-being, they said. They further added that they didn't know of any cultural phenomenon that matches the mortality patterns, which are seen for both men and women, but not in, uh, in other countries and in both rural and urban settings, but mostly middle-aged, less educated white individuals. Quote, the decline in religiosity matches mortality trends in all of these characteristics, they wrote. The authors also pushed back on the opioid theory. They said OxyContin was first introduced as a prescription drug in 1996, yet already by then, deaths of despair from middle Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Plays white men who are well above trend. So my word. Now I had seen stuff like that in the past. I had seen stuff, and I'm talking about recent past, um, last couple of years. There's been a lot of studies on that. That there has been a an increase. Well, I should say an acceleration in just the, the way that people polling for religious faith and and um, and religious practice, like I was talking to Rich Barris not too long ago, that people that were polling in that way were not. Um, they were. It was going down significantly in the last twenty years or so. Now, obviously, they're saying that this is this started ticking upward, these deaths of despair ticking upward in the 1980s. But I would just love to know and to talk about what exactly this is about, because it could just be it could be uh, because religions are being systematically dissolved and reabsorbed into something a little bit more useful for this emerging global super state that we're all being introduced to. Uh, in dribs and drabs, and now in much larger and in, in larger chunks, it's it's happening all around us. And I uh, and I wanted to talk about this tonight. I thought it'd be a, a great topic to to bounce around with Tim and Jay because it's really just another aspect of the new faith, the new faith that is being created to accompany the Great Reset and 2030 vision for the world, and this new faith obviously has nothing to offer except political guarantees or political promises that don't show up. It's political bargaining for the most part. And it's married with this overwhelming sense of nihilism, hopelessness. And a lot of that nihilism, the hopelessness uh, pops up in the way that, as we've said before, when you talk about the way, um, the way that this, this parallel, this parallel religion has been popping up, the negation, the process of negation is so strong in all of this. The replacing of national holidays with political grievance days and award shows, okay? With political grievance days, political grievance months, award shows, halftime performances. February is completely lost to race, obviously, you know, in, in, a, in a larger, you know, uh, mainstream sense. Your February, your days and your weeks and your months are yours. So it's just to be able to observe what the powers that be are trying to build up all around us with these walls and how they're compartmentalizing the actual calendar and building something to not to not only parallel what we are all living through or we remembered to be normal, but they're trying to also transfer us over into the new paradigm and do away with everything that we, we were once comfortable with in the 80s and 90s. Do away with it altogether. In the, in the pre-9-11 world, I should say. Uh, June is lost to corporate LGBT stuff. This new faith have martyrs 
they have saints, they have mantras, they have prayers, they have, you know, certain stories, they have creation stories. They have creation stories, especially the creation story of this uh, of this country. That goes right into the, the, the reworking of history in the most inane ways. They have rituals for atonement and penance. These injections are nothing short of a filthy Eucharist, as I've said. The face mask has become the new yarmulke. And don't forget the statues. Don't forget the statues. I mean, there is so much on this alone. Maybe we have some time in the second half because I know that the guys are going to be with me very shortly, but maybe in the second half we can jump into some of this other stuff, like uh, Christopher Knowles of the Secret Sun, um, the Secret Sun uh, blog. He wrote the Endless American Midnight. I have that book. I'd like to get all the way through it, but he jumped into this weird thing that they put on top of the Manhattan courthouse. I mistakenly said last Friday with Matt and with Tim that it replaced the Teddy Roosevelt statue. It did not. It was in New York, but uh, here it is. Look, as you as you probably have seen before, I'm going to show it to you again right now. This is Christopher Knowles says, Why is there a hideous, chimeric, golden she-demon lurking atop the appellate court in Manhattan? A, because there's no better place than a temple of law to prove Knowles' second and third laws. And if you don't know Chris Knowles, then you don't know he has, uh, I think, a set of, I don't know how many laws, at least three, obviously. But I've been through them before. Here he goes. uh, Here, obey the laws, Knowles' laws, Knowles' second law. The old state cults will be reestablished under the cover of woke. And third, the old statues and the symbols currently being torn down will be replaced by the icons and idols of the new and old state cult. Thirteen years ago, Madison Square was also a venue of the, uh, of the Event Horizon watcher worship and art installation there. And then the, this display of the cultic fanaticism has been insulated from criticism with an extremely thick and florid coating of nonsensical woke speak. This is just a tiny taste. And he brought up a, this is a very popular New York magazine, Time Out magazine. We used to subscribe to Time Out to know what was going on in the city. So if we ever wanted to bounce in there to cover a uh, an event or just be social, we would know where all the, the good stuff was, especially like free shows and stuff. Here's from Time Out magazine. For the first time, a statue of a woman sits atop this Manhattan courthouse. At last, this work puts a female figure on a level plane with the traditional patriarchal depictions of justice and power. But what the hell is this? It's a female figure? This is a female figure? This, this, this horned demon with, what are the arms? It almost looks like the, uh, it, it looks like a, like the, a, a, an exposed nervous system. It's so odd. It's so odd. He continues, Christopher Knowles does. There are two statues in this late, latest display of what looks uncannily, uh, yet more examples of fundamentalist watcher worship, now and witness, onlooker, watcher. There you go. It's not your imagination. It looks extremely demonic. Um, goes into Ishtar, which, you know, we were just doing a, uh, a nice white shut breakdown not too long ago, um, at the Ziegler's party on the wall, the Christmas party, there is the star of Ishtar. This is a, um, a, I, I believe a, a, uh, fertility and a war goddess, not to mention Tanit, 
Um, Lilith, I believe Lilith is the is the mother of Baphomet. So there, there's a lot of things that are drawn out here. There's not, here's another, uh, Chris continues, there's a not entirely dissimilar statue of Medusa outside another Manhattan courthouse. Note the beheaded Perseus. I'm sure you'll be getting equal justice under the law there, chaps, where, where Medusa is the one holding Perseus's head, you know? So this is, um, this is just a lot. I, I, love, I love Christopher Knowles' work. Actually, Christopher Knowles, his work and um, and his Twitter is how I was actually in in um, introduced to Robert Phoenix. So I like that whole sphere of stuff that's going on there. But why do I bring this up? Because all the time we are seeing on multiple fronts, there is a new faith being built up around us and new examples of that being done in more subtle ways elsewhere. For example, in in, in the uh, the Catholic realm, in, in the Vatican, we see a lot of a lot of these appearances by the Pope showing up to these these interfaith councils, these these synods, and and doing anything they can to almost promote this idea of pluralism. There was a recent sit down, and Jay uh, Dyer was was big on this one. He sent this our way. Here he says, "Here's the this is from SPZH News." The specter of the third union with Catholics is no longer a specter. This is about, this is coming from uh, Orthodox spheres over here. Uh, Patriarch Bartholomew gave an interview where he confirmed the course of unity with Catholics to be accomplished in 2025 on the 1700th anniversary of the Council of Nicaea. Now, um, I had something a little bit picked up around here on identity. At the very end of the interview, Journalists asked the question, in your opinion, what does the authority of religions depend on today? And then the patriarch said this. Uh, Let's see here. Oh, shoot. Down here. Today, the authority of religions is widely assessed by their contribution to the struggle for peace. It is unacceptable for religions, forces of peace, and a reconciliation to be fanatical and divisive. Neither scientific progress nor economic development nor communication via the internet is sufficient to achieve peace. We Christians, while serving the peace cause, uh, peace cause, and in the struggle for justice, bear the highest duty to show the dis, uh, dissoluble unity of love for God and love of our neighbor. Now, this got a lot of people very nervous because it sounds a little bit more mealy-mouthed, like the way that uh, we, have, we have gotten used to, since, especially since 2013, uh, France is talking. The author here says, the above means that even the commandments of love for God and neighbor, according to Patriarch Bartholomew, should serve the cause of the struggle for peace and justice. Not a word about Christ, not a word about the salvation of the soul, not a word about the kingdom of heaven, not a word about repentance. So this was uh, sent on over to me because, as Jay said, that there's nothing about this that has anything to do with theology. And it's, uh, it's more of an example of globalism finding its way into new avenues in places where, you know, we keep getting reminded that this infiltration is everywhere. It has made its way to the front door and through the threshold of pretty much every church and congregation of, of, of any kind of significance in the world. 
it's just been there some more infiltrated more more uh, uh more intently targeted than others because of the money because of the power the in the sphere of influence being larger uh some take more priority than others but there is um there's so much more here so much more here to talk about and what i would like to do ladies and gents is encourage you all to send in super chats i would like to get your super chats in on this um on this evening um, I'm going to, while Timothy and while Jay are on the phone with me tonight, I would love to be able to get some of your your uh, thoughts in. We'll see how many we can fit in because this is more so, it's not, I mean, I'm sure we're going to be talking theology tonight and I'll I'll let Timothy and, and Jay um, take the reins on a lot of that and I'll just play, you know, host over here because that's not really my forte. But a lot of this that we're going to talk about has to do with a geopolitical shift in what's what we're in the place that we live not only that technocratic shifts in the place that we live all of this this is the, the big thing the ideological the cultural and the faith that is all one major major thing that needs to be merged with the geopolitical and the technocratic aspects of what many people will call the great reset new world order agenda 2030 it's just a retooling of the world. And, uh, you know, uh, I, I see one of our buddies are on with us so far. What's going on, Tim? What's up, Franklin? How you doing, man? What's up, bud? How are you? I'm good. How are you? How are you feeling? I'm, thank God I'm feeling great. I really, uh, I mean, I, I think the last of my cramps were, they just kind of went away earlier on in the day. And I'm, I'm really grateful that everything is, is just fine. But how's everything by you? You know what? Before, before Jay gets on, Tell everybody real quick what happened to your Patreon. Take a couple of seconds, then you can talk about it again later on. Oh, shit, man. Um, so on the morning of January the 31st, great. I'm glad you're feeling better, by the way. Thank you. Morning of January the 31st, which was Tuesday, I get a message from Patreon. I get two messages before I even checked them earlier in that morning. And one was less nice. One was slightly more nice. They just said, hey. Originally, they said your your Patreon page is gone because you violated our hate speech provisions. They listed three videos I'd done just just talking about uh, sexual ethics according to Catholic stuff with regard to you know man on man action. Gotcha. What have you? Say no more. And, uh, whatever whatever the fuck you're supposed to call it now. And so that was that was that. Um, I I wrote them back online. Uh, you know, in real time later that afternoon when I was doing a live stream. And, uh, you know, I said, like, well, you've got this uh, obsession, this rectal obsession. So up your take the money and shove it. And the next day they wrote back and they're like, look, you can have your February monies. I don't think they'd ever been told that before because they had several thousands of my dollars. And they said, look, we're going to still enforce this ultimatum. And I wrote them back online today on my live stream today. And I was like, well, I happen to my attorneys are Lamandry and Jana. These guys argue more uh, religious liberties before the Supreme Court than anybody else. So you're not going to hear from me again. You're going to hear from my attorneys, uh, say la vie, and I'm not taking shit down. So well, the people have jumped from Patreon supporting me over to if you go to timothyjgordon.com you can click donate 
uh, or or the the one uh, subscribe starb and locals. Good. We're just diversifying the account. Now. Good. I'm, I'm I'm glad. I'm glad, especially with subscribe star and all that. That's a good thing. And you know, uh, you'll be able to talk a little bit more about that later on there too. I know Jay uh, is uh, he's seen the writing on the wall with all that stuff a long time ago. I was brought on to uh, or, and it was brought to my attention places like Rockfin were brought to my attention because of people like Jay Dyer. So there is, um, there's, there's a lot of ways to diversify and to shield yourself from what is just all over the place. And you, it's like you're, you're walking eggshells wherever the hell you are. And it's just, it's good to, to know that there are, there is a, a parallel economy of those, those types of subscription services that now have popped up that can give you a little bit more confidence going into the future without thinking that your entire livelihood can be ripped out from under you in one fell swoop but um i just brought jay in and i don't see him i, I see him oh he what's is? up jay jay you there hey how you guys doing oh what's going on man hey wow so we've got we've got a wonderful wonderful crew here tonight now let me just introduce you guys a little bit more uh, officially, we got Jay Dyer, jaysanalysis.com, Timothy Gordon, timothyjgordon.com, authors, educators, broadcasters, Eastern Orthodox, Roman Catholic, respectively. Joining me tonight, it's all about the new faith and its importance in the new world order. Now, good evening, gentlemen. Let's start it this way. I just read a piece by Market Watch over here about the rise in what is being called deaths of despair and that it may be fueled by loss of religion. And in other articles I've read recently, um, it, it, they mark a really intense drop in faith. A little over a decade ago, this particular arc article says that it really accelerated around 1980s. Christianity, uh, which is a central focus tonight, has thrived for 2,000 years, and the wolves have always been at the door, no doubt. But why do you guys think, and Jay, we'll start with you, why has the chickens have the chickens come home to roost in the last 15 20 years um in that respect the, the drop in faith these deaths of despair what do you think is really attributing <clears throat> there's a lot of things going on i would say that there is <clears throat> religious engineering that's something I've, I've kind of been re uh, lecturing on lately getting into a lot of the uh power players that sought to sort of co-opt and steer religion in, in different directions. And I think they play a multi-pronged game. So there is, for example, kind of a layer of the atheists that are out there, the new atheists, those guys that had a lot of <clears throat> influence in the last few decades. Um, I actually think they serve higher powers. I think that they don't just promote atheism. I think there's a more uh, powerful inner core that has a longer term agenda that has something even crazier in, in line than just atheism and materialism. So they serve a role uh, to be out there. I think you and I talked about this the other day, Frank, when we were talking about that um, Albert Pike letter, which I don't actually think the letter is authentic. We can't verify it. But that basic plan there seems to be plausible that you've got manipulation of uh, various power players who created things like ecumenism, created the modern ecumenist movement I was speaking of, which <clears throat> I was getting into the history of the world parliament of religions what that did was basically water down uh authentic you know christianity so to speak turn it into a tool for geopolitical power and as we move up in the 20th century that becomes more and more pronounced particularly after vatican ii 
and I'm not just singling out Catholics here. This is the same. It's the same in the Protestant world, same in the Orthodox world that money powered uh, big families, et cetera. They really wanted to steer religion into becoming an NGO. And, you know, Brzezinski writes about this and between two ages he has a section where he says, let's just turn the Roman Catholic Church into an NGO, a, 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 a version of American soft power. So I think that's what they were after. And and what that does is that these big world religion movements, parliament of world religion, ecumenism, uh, steering the churches into social gospel, liberation theology, people don't want that deep down because that doesn't fulfill them. That just gives them the, uh, this, this, it's a new idol. And people detect, I think, that that's not authentic Christianity. And so what they do is it, it just also, it ends up promoting uh, more and more atheism. And so people turn to uh, alternate forms of spirituality, like the recent polls talk about, you know, young people being into witchcraft and the occult. Yes. So uh, ultimately it's satanic. Yeah. But there's other, you know, geopolitical players that I think are trying to push uh, other alternative forms of religions into what um, Huxley calls the perennial philosophy. So the, the perennial philosophy is just one giant blob religion that he and his cohorts said they would they would create and steer and use. And uh, anyway, I've got a whole bunch of, uh, you know, background on all that. I don't want to ramble the whole time. But that's no. what I think. Is good. That's what's led to this crisis of today and many other factors, too. Obviously, Satan, I think ultimately the devil's involved. But so that's where we are today, where people have a crisis of faith. But um, the main a lot of the mainline institutional settings and I'm not I'm including crisis within within the Roman Catholic Church, crisis within Orthodoxy as well crisis in protestantism in the 20th century that's where that's that's why people are in a crisis um now um tim you and i we've we've spoken a lot uh, over the years about infiltration um it's not that and as jay was just saying right there it's not that people who have now had all of this these religious centers in their brain in their their hearts and their minds kind of burned out through where the culture is going it's not that they're not religious they're just they're almost involuntarily putting all of their spiritual practice into things that they don't know is becoming a religion around them um they're chanting people's names at protests uh we, yes uh, we we've covered the rise in witchcraft and occult uh activity the rise in satanism um, uh, public and private schools, they are largely teaching self-indulgent satanic worldviews. It's just very subtly, um, it, that's just subtly how everybody's lives are being retooled. And obviously it's not giving the, a lot back to them. What do you have to think, what do you have to say about, uh, about all this, uh, Tim, your, your opinions on, on this, uh, this shift? Well, the first commandment, thou shalt have no gods before me, is the first commandment for a reason. The reason is that um, subtly people begin to surrogate idols for God without even knowing it in their own lives. So this is a part of what we call concupiscence, just the, the nature of the creep of sin. It's always creeping in our lives that will put some creature over the creator, right? This is a problem for, for all Christians. Now you compound that with the, the real surgical push that has marked the 20th century and, and the 21st century, but it really marked the 20th century by the infiltrating groups. We won't name them for now, just the groups, such that something called religious indifferentism took sway, 
religious indifferentism, the, the nonsensical notion that Christianity is not in earnest distinguishable from all the other fake faiths in the world, and that in earnest within Chris, Christendom, within, within Christianity, there are no meaningful distinctions that actually obtain, that matter. So that's all religious indifferentism. Um, a, a Catholic and an Orthodox and a, a Protestant can all acknowledge that something like the Trinitarian formula in one's baptism matters uh, for marking out the actual Christian, but there are still meaningful differences that obtain unless one abides the false teachings of the religious indifferentist. And that's what these groups are because corresponding with religious indifferentism and corresponding with the natural creep of surrogating the creator with creatures is something called religious syncretism. And that's, Frank J., that seems to be what's at work every day within Agenda 2030, within all of the the, the big global uh, indicia, like COVID and all that stuff, Great Reset. It's what's at work, religious syncretism to, you know, take what the 20th century did to make most Christians around the world indifferent and now just amalgamate them all. And, you know, that's why you're going to see this false ecumenism that's associable with something like Agenda 2030. They don't even like Christians. Why are they trying to snowball us all together? It's, yeah. Uh, it's all part of a plan. Well, uh, when I saw this, and, and Jay, when, when you sent this this uh, this thing over to us, the specter of the third union with Catholics is no longer a specter. And you said that this this had, had this would have little to do with theology, everything to do with globalism and the new religion fostering it. So, I thought that that right there would be such a rich door to just kick open because you know we document. Uh, I do on this show, and then when Tim comes and, and hangs out with me too, we love documenting Vatican issues all the time because the infiltration is just so deep at this point. We just we were reading, uh, we read Malachi Martin's Windswept House together last year. I, we thought it was it's it was incredible, uh, really fun time. And I tend to forget because we do so much focusing on Rome that every church in the world is struggling to to, to, to fend off the same wolves in one way or another. And this reminded me. Uh, this this article that you sent here reminded me again of that honeymoon period uh, that the globalists had right after John Paul II's death. For all of his faults, he was obviously too universally liked uh, to have them do anything too crazy because within a few years after he died, we had Clinton, Obama, Podesta, McCain, that whole crew stoking not only an Arab spring, but planning a Catholic spring, and then even focusing on splitting up the Orthodox Church, especially in Ukraine, which was seen as a move to uh, continue to isolate Russia geopolitically. So uh, talk a little bit about that right there, this meeting and all of that in particular. Yeah, now I'm glad that you guys were talking about Malachi Martin because I think he's really important to get an insight into what was going on in the Vatican. However, I do have some reservations with Malachi Martin because I, I don't think he was a honest, legitimate traditionalist. I do think he was kind of playing a double game. Mm -hmm. There's another book that he wrote that's really important that I lectured through called Keys of Blood. And it's a gigantic beast of a book, but <clears throat> there's good and bad in this. The, the, the bad part of this book is that it does try to do this sort of apologetic for John Paul II. And um, I think you're partly right when you said that he wasn't far enough in terms of what the liberal-minded globalists wanted, but 
it's pretty well documented from my vantage point that that JP2, and I'm not, not trying to offend any Catholics or start an argument here, but in my my assessment, he realized that he was going to have to make an alliance with uh, the CIA in order to win the Cold War. And I just did a lecture last night from uh, uh, Army intelligence guy who is a big AP reporter throughout the whole Cold War who wrote a book uh, called KGB Spies in the Vatican. I forget where it, uh, it I've got it here somewhere. Anyway, point of the, the point of the book is that they really they had to turn John Paul into a symbol, <clears throat> the second, um, and there. So I think he was anti-communist, but. The problem is that when you align yourself with Western neoliberal capitalism, now you have a new master. Mm-hmm. That's not just for the Vatican. I think it's a problem for uh, orthodoxy as well. And so if we fast forward up to uh, this drama with Benedict in terms of the book, <clears throat> talking about the Skittles stuff and the seminaries, which is most likely what relates probably to his being uh, pushed out of the papacy and stepping down. It, <clears throat> in my view, it has to do with these networks that are blackmailing a lot of the clergy that's been going on for a long time and that blackmail doesn't just extend to the orthodox church it also extends to actually the, the rome Catholic church it's the same blackmail strategies that go on in other bodies as well to control especially very powerful prelates so <clears throat> the problem with this new reunion council that they want to push in 2025 is that first of all we know that france is not very concerned with theology <laughs> right no, no. and i don't think bartholomew is very concerned with theology either because bartholomew writes books uh, about the green agenda, promoting it together. He writes books with the Clintons hmm. um, and Al Gore. So I, I don't take Bartholomew very seriously. And I mean, they're pretty much, he's pretty much already on the same page with France as far as I can tell. And so they've been pushing this idea of a 2025 union uh, council, reunion council. They're floating the idea right now. And what I think it has to do with is that the same power that was involved in pushing Benedict out. <clears throat> Uh, for these moral issues, Skittlesy issues, that's the same super force power that relates to this deep state that I'm talking about. That that wanted to use John Paul as a symbol just to in the Cold War. Then they wanted to, to to go to the next phase of the revolution in the Catholic Church, and that's why Benedict, who in my view I'm still even critical of Benedict. I think he has a lot of modernist statements in his books. But he wasn't as radical as what they wanted with Francis, and so they utilized this push to push the revolution further by bringing in Francis, by the threats and the pedo scandal stuff to, to get Benedict to step down. That's the next phase. And the goal is not just moving the Roman Catholic world morally into a new domain, but rewriting and changing all of the theology. And that's why they want to get the EP, Bartholomew, the Ecumenical Patriarchate, back to Rome that has nothing to do with the filioque and who was right on that. It's all about creating this new religion, in my view. It's a new ecumenist world religion that the real movers and shakers like H.G. Wells wrote about back in his old 1905 or something book, 1890s book, God the Invisible King. And you might think, well, H.G. Wells was a, a atheist, right? He was a high-level mason. No, no, he's a Luciferian. And he says in this book, this was a 1917 text that he wrote, <clears throat> He was writing and predicting the new age interfaith syncretist religion that would exist. This is a hundred years ago, mm. right? 1917 book. And he says, you might think I'm an atheist because I'm a Marxist socialist, one world government proponent. He says, no, no, I follow the idea of God. Our God is Prometheus or Lucifer. 
That's page 101. Prometheus Lucifer wow. is his god. That is the god of the new age that his circles created. But again, understand, it's not just hippy-dippy yoga chicks on Instagram new age. This is intended to also be in the institutional churches as part of a broader world religion they want to create and control. And so, yeah, I agree with what exactly with what Tim was saying. Uh, Tim, you, you, anything about that you want to you want to jump on and uh, and comment on? There's there's a, there's a lot there, so I don't even want to prompt you with anything. No, there's nothing I I disagree with. Uh, I'll, I'll start out by saying that I, I think the characterization you just heard of uh, JP two is is apropos of what Martin is saying by 96 in Windswept House. I forget what year Keys of the Blood are. I also agree with the critique of Martin himself or with the, the hesitancy to go full bore with Martin. And, and as a, a guy that went to Rome and studied at a pontifical university in 2007 and 2008 because of Benedict, my love for Benedict the first three years of the pontificate, I can also say I share in the reticence uh, to be a, a full-throated enthusiast after the latter six years of his pontificate, reading some more of his early writings, which are frightening. So there's nothing to disagree with there. What, what I would add to the conversation that involves the, the lawfare uh, half of this, sort of the undercarriage, is that the uh, one of the major groups, the Masons, going into the 20th century said that the main goal from the late 18th century through the 19th century was to change church-state relations in America, and they said they would tend to that in the 20th century. And I just, I know it's a, a talking point I come back to frequently on, on my channel, and I've even said it on your channel here, Frank, but Remember what happened in 1947 in America. This is quite literally, I think, the, the, the inflection point when this country went from being a Christian nation that did not separate church and state to whatever you want to call it. Any of the modifiers don't suffice, but basically a Masonic nation, 1947, where church and state were separated hardcore. Once church and state are separated hardcore and, it, and we mean we're talking about christian churches on unspecified protestant unspecified catholic or orthodox but it was christian from 1791 with the ratification of the the bill of rights you know the first 10 the first eight of those are called the bill of rights where the first amendment guaranteed that it was illegal for congress the federal legislature to disestablish the state establishments of Christianity. And it was assumed when they ratified the First Amendment in 1791 that all 13 states would have establishments of Christian sects in America. It turns out only eight of them did, only eight. But most people don't know that. That's a mic drop for, for even your average lawyer out there who doesn't know the history of incorporation, the 14th Amendment, the First Amendment. And this was rendered illegal by seven of nine supreme court justices in black robes i'll add seven of nine were freemasons openly and notoriously in the late 1940s post post world war ii 
when all of world history was being changed and rewritten in the 1950s, that number would rise to eight out of nine were open, notorious Freemasons on SCOTUS. But in 1947, the inflection point, namely, was a case called Everson versus Board of Education, when they said that the First Amendment stands for precisely the opposite proposition than was ratified in 1791, namely, uh, that whereas it had said before, and it still says in clear black letterhead, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion, meaning that plainly meant for, for 150 years, Congress is not allowed to disestablish the Christian establishments. Now, after Everson versus Board of Ed, henceforward, it means the state governments are not allowed to establish religion. So it meant its exact opposite. It's, it's not Congress disestablishing the states. In other words, it was SCOTUS disestablishing the states. It was still a, a, the federal government doing it. So with that change in lawfare came a change in culture. Whenever you separate church and state, you're separating church and culture. So now, not only was Christianity assumed to be a part of the lawfare, the legal culture in America. It was, of course, assumed to be the lifeblood, the res publica of the cultura in America. Well, now it's followed that it's, it's you know, blithely separated from, you know, legal culture, Christian culture, but also just the popular culture. People, if, if you're standing in line to go to the movie theater and you, you say something about your church or about Jesus, People be like, Shh, we're, we're, we're in the public forum. Well, that follows. And that was the goal of the Masons going into the 20th century. So it's all part of this amalgamation of rolling all the churches together, treating them all the same, even if theologically they don't ever join up like a third third Florence Union or whatever, and um, and then killing them all. Yeah, they're all together. Uh, it 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 goes it goes hand in glove. You, you need to. And and for both of you guys, I and mean, we were talking about this now. Um, over the last however many years I've really been paying attention to it, but synods, interfaith councils, these these um, historic pilgrimages, they always implicitly endorse the idea of pluralism. I think you guys have, um, you've used terminology that, that pretty much runs alongside of that too when it comes to faith. This whole, this whole hippy-dippy, UN, let's all come together and, and kumbaya kind of idea that, well, everybody's faith is valid and everybody's does their own thing and to be honest for me I, I'm I'm very pro diversity in in the real the real aspect of diversity I like the idea that in different parts of the world the culture is different I like I like that there is different stuff going on there and uh, and what they're doing here is because obviously it all works itself out in the end but what they're doing here from a geopolitical and technocratic side is bringing everybody together and diluting everybody so you're actually creating a, a a shitty stew a worldwide shitty stew that there's no differential between anything anymore and uh and just like with the the like for example the statues in in south american what is it the the pachamama the american fertility or that south american fertility goddess that was displayed in catholic churches a couple of years ago to show i guess solidarity with pagans i i suppose this is the kind of thing here um uh jay jay you, you got anything on that on on this this idea of pluralism and in the next phases in the build up of this agenda 2030 one world faith to go along with the technocratic hell that they're creating 
Yeah, to back up <clears throat> Tim's point about the impossibility of really separating church and state, there was a, a book, a famous book uh, called Reflections of a Russian Statesman by Konstantin Pabianatsev. It's a free book. You can get it now. It's kind of uh, out of print or it's, it's out of copyright. And uh, it's, it's the second chapter. Basically, he, the first chapter, he talks about how the faith is what sustains the people. And that also applies to the state. And he says that to divide the church from state doesn't actually give you liberty and freedom. All it does is make the state the new church. So the state steps in to be the God figure when you have this totally sort of libertarian idea of, of a neutral state, which doesn't really exist in my view. No. <clears throat> so uh, it's true that you can have, <clears throat> by the way, uh, you know, s- situations where there might be, if let's say orthodoxy in my case, let's say it's not the predominant religion in a country, but the state still professes or is close to orthodoxy. We wouldn't make it necessary as a top-down project unless the majority of the people were orthodox then it makes sense to have an explicitly confessional state and you'll notice that that's the for us that's the meaning of the double-headed eagle it's not masonic by the way the freemasons took that that's just an older symbol from byzantium that just symbolizes church and state working together as this there's one body with two heads of the eagle that's what that symbol always has meant and that's even used in austro-hungarian empire symbolism too church and state working in tandem you know in catholic tradition so but the idea there is not to destroy like you said uh frank the good elements of multiplicity within cultures or within nation states the byzantine ideal was to have a unity of the one and the many so the emperor uh, is not there to destroy the you know ethnos of greece or of turkey or whatever he's there to hopefully to preserve the unity uh, in a political sense in a temporal sense throughout the empire and one of the things that contributed to the collapse of byzantium was among many things was greek ethnophilatism or greek uh, ethnocentrism greek national pride helped help collapse byzantium and so for us we would say that we always want to strive to have a balance the one the many and that also allows for the maintenance of the good elements that exist within any existing culture or society so we don't want to destroy you know cultures unique artistic expressions the spirit of that people or whatever that's not that's not what we want to destroy but what we have in somebody like huxley when he talks about the creation of this new world religion he talks about we'll try to preserve everything in the pre in the other religions that are amenable to the geopolitical power of globalism so it's it's religion subordinated to the geopolitical technocratic state anything that allows for particularity and distinctions he says have to be warred against because he says the ultimate goal of the world coming world religion is a blo- it's a blob mm-hmm. and the blob can't allow particularities and distinct and distinct elements and so <clears throat> i think roman catholicism the way the reason and i think tim's 100 right that the reason that freemasonry which is a big part of this push the reason they saw the papacy as an in, an institute to capture is that you can much easy it's a much more easy practical way to to push people into a top-down scenario of everybody accepting this global thing because number one the numbers roman catholic church has far more numbers than the other churches <clears throat> and it's also a top-down structure so if you can ca- capture the office of the papacy like the alta vendita talks about then you can not destroy it but steer it for this purpose 
And I, I definitely think that's what they're up to. Uh, and I think that they did achieve that in the sense of, you know, the, I think probably pre-Vatican II, there was already signs of these problems there. Uh, in terms of the morality, I don't think the, the pre-Vatican II popes had completely sort of gone off the rails like Francis has done nowadays. But um, there was already signs of this. For example, Benedict XV uh, was a big supporter of the League of Nations, <clears throat> which I don't know the motivations as to why he thought it was helpful. Maybe he really believed it would end war. But League of Nations was a creation of the Fabian Socialists, mm -hmm. and it was their sort of it was their proto version of uh, the global government that they wanted to put in place, which the UN was like version two of League of Nations. So, um, anyway, I, I got way off track. But I, so I think Pachamama represents. I think Orthodoxy and Catholicism both agree that there is a degree <clears throat> of enculturation, which is fine. That means that we can find things within cultures that are not inherently idolatrous or uh, th that aren't necessarily actions against the divine uh, law, you know, moral law. Um, but if those are things that are by their very nature against divine law or moral law, then they can't be part of enculturation. And so I don't see any vindication for Pachamama that people try to explain it with, oh, well, this is just the Jesuit style of how they would do enculturation. Uh, I mean, Jesuits are the most radical of in, in doing enculturation, but no, you can't take a human sacrifice deity and say that that's Mary. That's not Mary. Uh, it doesn't work like that. So in Orthodox theology, iconography is very specific. It, it's just like a written text. So they, they're called icon writers. And you have to, the, the image has to depict what the image is supposed to depict. So if that's an image of Pachamama, you can't retool that to be Mary, okay? That's why iconography has to teach theologically correct ideas. Like an Orthodox icon would reject, for example, Chinese Jesus, because Jesus was historically of a Hebrew lineage. So you can't paint him as a, as a Chinese man. Doesn't mean that we're against Chinese people. And certainly Christ's human nature was consubstantial with Chinese people. But Jesus was not historically a Chinese man. He was born uh, of Hebrew descent, and it's very important to the prophetic lineage and him being the descendant of, of David that he be Hebrew. So likewise, you can't take something like Pachamama. If you look at the book of Exodus, uh, Aaron is castigated not just for making a golden calf, but Aaron says, well, it's a golden calf, but it's a symbol of Yahweh. So he tries this move to say, oh, well, it still symbolizes the one true God. It's just a golden calf that symbolizes God. Mm. And they're like, no, uh-uh doesn't count right god's not happy with aaron's excuse for that and that's exactly the type of uh you know uh, justification that we get for example in, in some of the the catholic apologists want to defend the pachamama thing on a bigger scale just to make it really simple i agree that um if you look at the agenda 2030 the un uh, models they've actually said in a lot of their documents to bring back indigenous religions that relate to even things like human sacrifice mm -hmm. So I think that's exactly what uh, Pachamama represents. It's a it's a it's a move towards syncretism, um, that that portends darker directions that they want to go in 100. Um, percent uh, uh, Tim, before you comment with anything that you might have, uh, you might want to 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 jump on there. Jay, is there any was there any kind of movement? Uh, I, we saw a lot of crazy things going on with the the Vatican as far as as far as reprimanding bishops and priests for for not getting on the um, you know the medical pushes of the last couple of years. 
Uh, anything going on with that inside of the Orthodox world? Because this is one thing I, I, I don't really have a uh, oh, beat sure. on. <laughs> yeah. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, so <clears throat> just to make it really simple, I would say that the my I'm not in the Roman Catholic world as, as I was in my, in the two thousands and my twenties. Um, so I can't really speak to all the details per se, uh, other than that Roman Catholics that I'm friends with and just kind of see what they're up to and talking about. But in the Orthodox world, uh, it's definitely basically split down the middle. I mean, it, it's kind of like, well, it doesn't matter which jurisdiction that you go to in the Orthodox church. Uh, everything's kind of split down the middle. I kind of think that was by design. I think they knew they could split just like they split you Orthodox in Ukraine down the middle. In America, I think orthodoxy is being split down the middle, and not just on <clears throat> ideological things, but it also played out in the the coof stuff that you're talking about. Right. So there was like a, a significant portion of bishops who uh, went full coof, you know, lockdown, all that. Jeez. And uh, they most likely were given money to do that um, by the government. So in other words, you know, you're you're not going to be getting tithes during the lockdown time. So here's some government money. Just go along with mandates. Uh, and it's more than that, though. It's also it sort of plays into this longer game of um, going back to uh, so that certain sections within the United States uh, in Orthodoxy want to be under the EP because that would give them recognition. <clears throat> certain groups like the OCA would like recognition by the EP that would give them a sort of status. And the EP wants to go back to to Francis. And so the the danger here, though, is that again. It's not really, in my view, uh, about the theology. It's not about do no. we agree or disagree on filioque? Have we ironed out that issue? Do we agree or this or that? No, it's about what the global elite want, which is to steer both of these churches into this new fangled third thing, this new amorphous thing. And that's that's the thing with all of the ecumenist stuff is that the presupposition of ecumenism is there's not actually a historical church we're all in the process of searching for the church, right? And then maybe, and then at the end of history or whatever, right? The as the Hegelian synthesis, as the dialectic works itself out, we'll we'll attain church at the end of time, and that will just be this this big giant fake world religion. There you go. Well, well uh, Tim, on that, I mean, plenty you can say about ecumenism, ecumenism but uh, the other thing there too, uh, I just I just lost it right there. What he has had. Uh, he had said I wanted to bring up, but um, take it away, Tim, with uh, anything you had to say on that one, because then I want to go and grab that by the uh, by the neck and really go into what you guys would see this, as Jay called it before, uh, that we might be going towards something even crazier than a, uh, you know, uh, like what we have right now, where you have a, a bunch of children who really don't know what the hell they're, they're going on they're kind of neutral and mom agnostic to atheist on everything but what is really the end of all that i think that's the that's the next point what are they trying to take these different churches and bringing them all toward if it's not about the theology and it's all about the geopolitical and the technocratic realignment of the world then what is that going to look like this blade runner kind of end game what do you got for me tim Hmm. Well, it's not about the theology, qua theology, the way Jay or I care about it, or people, you know, philosophers or theologians who are Catholic or, or Orthodox, filioque writ large. It is, however, 
about political theology, which has a preternatural theology behind it. I, I think it's all about Antichrist. Uh, the, you know, the there's e, pl e pluribus unum, and then there's the opposite. I think I think they are uniting to separate, and uh, that's that's always got the spirit of Antichrist behind it. So it's a it's a theological veneer that's pretty thin with a, a kind of political subversive shine behind it but behind that is actually theology theological teleology which is anti-theological i think it's antichrist so i could say there are a few things i wanted to say though before before we get totally off the topic yeah one the kinds of healthy enculturation that both you frank and jay mentioned that again i'm fully fully agree there is such a thing that's not like fake and gay you know, ecumenism has such a bad connotation now because of the modernists. But healthy enculturation is well reflected in what I said, 1791. The idea, well, we call it subsidiarity in the Roman Catholic Church. It's like, yeah, we there shouldn't be a separation of church and state, but there should be a subsidiarian reflection of the diversity that goes back to something like in 1555, right after the Protestant Reformation. It's called cuius regio eius religio. Uh, you know, what do we do about the fact that in, in the north of Europe, the princes are all pockmarked? You know, it's not like a clean, healthy divide between Western Europe is Catholic and Eastern Europe is Orthodox the way it had been for, for 500 years or, or whatever before the Protestant Reformation. All of a sudden, this got messy as shit after 1517 because it's all pockmarked. Now it's in Bavaria and in the North. The Lutheran princes were, one was Catholic, one was Lutheran. One was Catholic, one was Lutheran. So what the hell is the Holy Roman Emperor supposed to do to divide? And they called it cuius regio eius religio. It's whoever's sovereign domain that will it will be his religion it will take his religion lutheranism or catholicism it's the only sensible way to divide the world once christendom splinters it was not i want people out there to think in these terms we've had two christian millenniums we're at the beginning of the third i don't know how long we're going to make it in the third before uh you know, Jesus comes back, hopefully not long, but the first Christian millennium was the time of the martyrs, and it wasn't clean in that aspect, but it was clean insofar as there wasn't splintering. There wasn't fragmentation of 39,000 different types of Christian. The second Christian millennium had that splintering happen right, right at the beginning. So there are 39,000 plus types of Christian, if you count up all the Protestants. And because there is such a diversity and multi multiplicity, multivariousness of the Christian religion, there has to be a reasonable way to account for that pluralism. And this is what you guys were calling good enculturation. And it's true. In 1791 in America, I just I can't hit this point hard enough. It reflected it. Subsidiarity means whose who's region, that person's religion. So you had, you know, basically the American northern states, the Yankees were Congregationalist, and most of them had Congregationalist establishments. In the South, it was Anglican or, or what have you, Episcopalian. Therefore, they had Episcopalian establishments. It makes sense. 
that's the kind of healthy enculturation that Christianity stands for in the second millennium, and it only took, you know, 700 years to get there. But that was what was undone in the 20th century. So I just want to say that, how right things were, generally speak. There is no Catholic state. And by the way, there is no Orthodox American state either. It was all different Protestant states, but demographically, if we represented a, a stronger political capital, Catholics or Orthodox, there would have been a Catholic or an Orthodox state. And I think that's healthy. That's why the bad guys uh, made a made a move that made things unhealthy. With regard to Pachamama, I would just say this. The folks, the Catholics out there that are on the wrong side of Pope Francis, when Pachamama first happened in October of 2019, at first they were saying, the first wave was to say, oh, this is Mary. This is an enculturated Mary, which for all the interesting ways, Jay Marshalls, you can't, you can't make Mary into Pachamama, like a Peruvian, heinous, awful uh, fertility goddess who's a demon. You just can't do that. When it came out and the Vatican said, no, this is Pachamama specifically, then there was a second pulse of Catholic Pope explaining that went on and said, well, Francis had nothing to do with it. And then after that, the Vatican also said, hey, we, we basically know this. And they put Pachamamas up in several of the churches in Rome right around the time my old partner, uh, Taylor Marshall et al. took the main one out of the main church and threw it into the Tiber. Then the third pulse to, to cover up for the Vatican speaking that second time was just silence. That's always what the Pope Francis Pope-splainers do when they, they'll float a story that covers all. It doesn't work. They'll float a second story. It covers a little bit less fully. And then if you debunk the second one, they're just, they're just silent. So I would say a lot of people with good intentions think this is what you do. I guess in a post-Vatican I world, they think you, you cover for a pope that's doing the kind of crazy stuff that, that Francis is doing. And it's just, it's not helping anyone. No. No, I don't the, know when all this comes to a head, but the point is, I think they're they're uniting to diversify, to unite under a false banner. I think that false banner is always the Antichrist. Yeah, I, 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 I look at the imagery that comes to my mind, guys, is the... Uh, is the T-1000 in Terminator 2 gets just, just doused with all that liquid nitrogen and then it's just exploded into little into tiny thousands, thousands of pieces and then melted back together into, well, I guess the same thing. But still, it's an explosion and then it's a, it's a, a recollecting of all this. So um, obviously, Jay, if there's anything in that you want to respond to, go right ahead. But when you're done with that, I would love to just focus in on the crazy now. What does it ultimately look like if they get what they want what does the world look like what does the everyday life look like inside of a society that has been completely commandeered in every way shape or form by the 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 uh the outline that's been created by the un they have all of their digital digital dollars that even Catherine austin fitz was talking about with tucker carlson the other night i was so happy to see that spot uh, they have their, their economic systems in place. They have all their tracking systems in place. Uh, the, the, the faith has been reworked. The, the, the police are robots. What does it look like? Go, go right ahead and just take us into uh, nightmare land. Yeah, one <clears throat> last point on that spirit of Antichrist uh, idea that he was talk that Tim was talking about. I, I agree with that, too. There's a, there's a <clears throat> Orthodox book that's really good, pretty popular on this. A lot of Catholics like it, too. It's called Orthodoxy and the Religion of the Future by Father Seraphim Rose. 
And I, re I recommend this book because it goes into the history of the United Nations and their uh, sort of co-opting of Hindu theology. And we can go back to the 1893 Parliament of World Religions, which is sort of one of these first birthing places of this idea of a new world religion. And this this guy, uh, this uh, booger whistle, uh, not booger nose whistle, Swami Swami Vivekananda, <laughs> Swami Vivekananda went around preaching that there needs to be a new world religion at this 1893 uh, meeting. And he went and spoke to uh, Rockefeller Sr., who was very impressed with his idea of creating a new syncretist world religion. And Swami Vivekananda thought that he had uh, converted Rockefeller Sr. to his mystical religion stuff, when ironically all it was was that, David, uh, that Rockefeller Sr., uh, the, the granddaddy there, he he saw a new way to uh, to steer and control society through the creation of a new religion. So you got this idea like, hey, why don't I create a global religion movement? And they, they actually discussed that. There's a whole chapter on that uh, in the authorized biography of the Rockefellers, all the money that they put into the uh, not just the ecumenist movement, but they essentially set up the World Council of Churches, National Council of Churches, which was there to promote this social gospel, liberal gospel uh, and even to a degree, liberation theology, all at the behest of these people, these big, these big powerful families. So that's again what's behind all this. But the reason that the New Agey occult stuff ties in is what's covered so well in Father Rose's book, because he goes into the history of the the appropriating of the Far Eastern uh, philosophies and worldviews, and those are useful because those Far Eastern philosophies. Uh, tend to prefer monism to uh, particularity and individuation. So they always give this preference to the, the blob, the glob. And that's why ideologically and in terms of social engineering, they're more useful than, you know, the older instantiations of enlightenment philosophy, like atomized, uh, you know, atomistic individualism coming out, out of the enlightenment. That was useful as a revolutionary tool for the enlightenment period. Now they would rather, now that they've broken down uh, now they want to gel it back, right? That, that's the alchemical process of, you know, <clears throat> calcification and, uh, you know, the negrado stage and it moves into the, the you put it back together. Hmm. And, and if you think that sounds outlandish, actually in Kessler's book, uh, Ghost in the Machine, he goes through all of these, these strategies for creating this new world order. And he mentions alchemy at the very end. He says, if you want to understand what we're up to in all this project, he says, it's just alchemy to tear down, destroy, and then rebuild in this new image. Now, <clears throat> the, what was your last question about? I already forgot. It's, it's the new image. It's, it's what do you, you said if, uh, you, you said in the beginning that you actually think that the inner core is pushing toward a really crazy outcome. And my, oh, yeah, yeah. my oh, question, right. what's the religion going to work? Look like? Well, what is no, just know the entire world with the religion in tow, like what, what's the complete, if they could have it exactly as they want, because as, as we all see the, the farther that we lurch toward utopia, the shittier everything becomes. So, so if they actually get what they want, what does life mean for the average person? What does it look like? Well, if we get up to 2050, the average person won't be around. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> that's, it's true. That's what Klaus and everybody says. <clears throat> so there's two books that really cover the idea of what they want to see in 2030, 2040, 2050. Actually, three books. Uh, Brief History of the Future by Jacques Attali uh, has those decades marked out in terms of plans and actuaries uh ray kurtzweil's books his two books mention those decades what they want to see by those decades and then 
Brave New World, which I think you you know we're going to cover in the, in the near future. Uh, there's a fake religion in Brave New World. If you remember, there's this fake civic religion that's made up, and it's basically like a Unitarian Universalist service with like I don't know techno and uh, you know Halloween costumes. It's like I don't I can't tell if it's a it's like a rave mixed with a Unitarian Universalist service. So maybe that's what the world religion looks like. That's what it is in Brave New World, right? Huh. Um, I forget and, that. I forget that part. Well, I'm going to see it again soon. Yeah. So, that, so in Brave um, New World, they, 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 the new world, the, the world socialist controllers have a fake religion they've created, and that they actually describe the, the religious services. And it's like, I can't remember exactly. It's like they have raves and dance music, and it's just, it's just crazy, right? But it, it, it's actually a religious service, and it kind of sounds like something Unitarian Universalist. Anyway, so maybe that's what it'll actually be like. I don't know, but. Um, I mean, I think there will always be authentic Christianity. You know, Jesus said the gates of hell would not prevail against the church. So there'll always be, uh, you know, authentic believers. Um, it will never be destroyed, but we may get to a situation. I don't know if that's our generation, but we might get to a situation where we have a great apostasy, uh, you know, between the Orthodox and the Catholic. We agree for the most. I've never seen any Orthodox or, or Roman Catholic theologians or scholars disagree with the fact that one of the signs will be an apostasy. Uh, a mass apostasy so so we'll definitely see that uh and that then leads to and gives way to this new world church new world religion which has no dogmas but doesn't allow actual dogmas <laughs> so there's like basically no dogmas but the do one dogma is that you can't have christian dogmas and that's one thing um it's so, pretty that's pretty but, much but, woke but to, to be more precise like but beyond just the the religious element of what this future fake re world religion is I mean, Father Stephen Rose posits that it would be some kind of a new agey Hindu type of thing because that's the most amenable to the world religions. Uh, maybe, uh, you know, we'll have to see how that shapes out. But the overall plan is, you know, by 2040, 50, the reduction of the world population by 80 to 90 percent. So that's that's what it looks like for most people. And most of most of us probably won't be there if this goes through it's a it's a scary prospect and um i i think about it all the time there too I, obviously it's not it's gonna be very hard to snuff out everything uh but it's going to be uh, tim have you ever given this any thought um would do you let your imagination run wild you play the slippery slope game and try to project where this is all going and is it looking a little bit more like uh, logan's run blade runner a little bit of all everything together you know, one of my best friends is uh, one one half of the directors, one of the two directors for Died Suddenly. And of course, I, I was in uh, one of one of his earlier films, which was The Greatest Reset. And so those two directors, Nick and Matt, have really gotten me thinking about some of some of the things that to, to people like Whitney Webb and, and you, Frank and you, Jay, may, maybe have been more obvious but over the last two and a half years covid woke a lot of folks up and they understand the bill gates says things like hey if we do everything right we can cut the world's population down if we have all the right uh, pieces of the puzzle and they're all in play and we have them all at hand we can cut the world's population down so a lot of folks will call that conspiracy theory just as a lot of folks will call it conspiracy theory to even mention that there is a great reset, even though it's been lined out, it's been gamed out. And so the fact that 
the world's population is if these evil folks, Luciferians or, or what have you, whatever you want to call them, if they get their druthers, they're going to cut the world's population down. And as they do so, I do think it's important that there is this orientally themed new age religion with with like techno and some mashup of Western faiths, techno and an Eastern ethos. I call this Miyagi, uh, Miyagi complex where people in the West always look East, right? For one thing, after the enlightenment, the West was so morally and spiritually, especially bankrupted that it's difficult for white people to think of, uh, a gray-bearded, wizened, wise elder that looks like them, that's got a pale face. And so they always have to think of, you know, someone like Mr. Miyagi. These white kids are being pricks to me at school. I don't have a dad. So it's got to be this oriental guy, Mr. Miyagi, that, that teaches me about, like, pruning fucking bushes and stuff. And he teaches me to defend myself. This is always the way for whatever reason, after the Enlightenment. So it makes sense that the mashup would involve, as we head toward the Perugia, world reduction in population, amalgamization of all of the, you know, the means of production and all that. We're moved like bug men into the smart cities. And we're actually eating, but we're not just bugs men, bug men, but we're eating bugs as we do so into smart cities. And the world religion will be this weird early 20th century, new age, orientally themed, uh, occidentally nostalgic, one world religion that orients us, I think, ultimately at worshiping the Antichrist. And I, and I do believe that there will be an, e, an EDM kind of component to it, like uh, like Jay had brought up with the, the, the techno. I really do believe so. If, if, if for no other reason than just that four on the floor beat... The, the, that way to, to get inside of the mind and, and actually keep people in hypnoti uh, hypnotic states, I think that that would actually be a, a really um, a really useful tool in something like that, especially well, if we're also, uh, you know, sauced up on Soma, too. So that would be something. Yeah, right. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to, I didn't mean to cut. I, I was just thinking that I was reminded that, I mean, in the storyline, if I recall, I haven't read Brave New World in probably six years, but in the storyline, if I recall, it's, they, they don't allow you to make music in that future world because you can't have, like, you can't make your own baby, right? Right. Because everything comes out of a test tube. And you can't make your own music. And so they have a law that, like, all the music has to be produced by computers. So it's all it's all literal techno music. And I think that's just the reason why that, you know, he describes the music at the religious ceremony as, you know, some techno-ish type of thing. But uh, to back up what Tim was saying about this uh, Far Eastern idea, it's not just uh, Father Stephen Rose that had talked about that. I was just remembering, um, and some of the, I had to go over to my Global Elite bookshelf over there and get some of their writings. One of their big uh, green proponent guys uh, is this Fritoff Capra, uh, Frito Capricorn. He wrote The Turning Point, back in the early 80s and i remembered that in the first 100 pages he says that we need more than just a revolution in thinking and a revolution in medicine blah 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 he says we need everything changed a total revolution he says that what the west will have to do 
get this is crazy. He says the West will have to adopt the kind of philosophy that is seen in China and is seen in uh, Japan, these Eastern dualistic religions, he says, because the purpose of the dualism and the dualistic religions is that you're supposed to overcome all dualities by blending into the blob. And he says that the best way to go about this is to convince the people in the West to adopt these anti-logic, anti-rational positions that get rid of things like law of identity, law of excluded middle, uh, you know, law of uh, uh, non-contradiction. And he says that you, we, we can best do this by pushing Far Eastern philosophies, quantum foam, quantum physics gibberish. And he says that when we do that, then we can blend the West and the East into this higher synthesis, right? And again, remember, he wrote this in the 80s. And he quotes and uh, cites all of the stuff from Kessler, by the way, the whole on stuff about well, what this is, is that this is Kessler and, and this guy saying, oh, have you noticed that systems in nature aren't individuals? They're holistic systems. Hmm. Oh, so you see, everybody should be part of the holistic system. There are no individuals. You're just a cell on the surface of, you know, Gaia, Mother Earth, whatever. You don't exist as an individual. Now, I'm not a radical individualist, but I'm saying that they're saying that you got to be like the rest of nature and exist as a holistic system. And you have to, and we're the ones that tell you what the holistic system is. And then he goes on and says, the key to bringing this in, I thought this was crazy, especially, you know, post coof He says that one of the key ways we'll bring this in is to the medical system. He says that the back door of bringing in the NWO is the medical system. And one last thing, just to back up a lot of the points that Tim was making is that, you know, we might think about this as conspiracy theory, but you know, what we do over on my channel is that we just lecture. Not that's not the only thing we do, but one of the main things we do is we just lecture, lecture from the books of these people. That's it. That way, nobody can say, you're a conspiracy theorist, even though they still do. Even though all we do is lecture from their books, they still, oh, you're a conspiracy theorist. <laughs> well, look, I'm telling you right here, Jacques Attali tells you in Brief History of the Future, he's the Kissinger of France, and he's the one that says we will drastically re uh, reduce the population, and by 204050, he says the, the vanguard of hyper-democracy that he says will link everybody into the big supercomputers the matrix he says the transhumanists are the vanguard of hyper democracy and the nwo jeez wow and that's no different than all these other people these here these so-called heroes of science i won't say you can so so that we don't get algorithmed here you can go read him in this book and he's famous for stabbies yep this yes, whole is. book is about killing everybody the father of stabbies writes a book about killing everybody with stabbies and other things. I see. I've okay. That I never knew. Obviously we're only given a name and we're given the accomplishment and then we praise him. Right. I, I just never knew. Have you uh wow. Jeez. Um, okay. Yeah, that book is out of print. I bought it when it popped up briefly on Amazon immediately because I'd heard about eight years ago that he had that book. By the way, he's got two. Uh, one called Man Unfolding, which I had to get at an old library book sale. And then this this famous thing. This one is the craziest one. I mean, this is like people – I got to argue with, with a, a doctor from the Daily Beast. He was like, 
on Twitter, like, you made this book up. <laughs> Gaslighting me. I'm serious. He's like, he's like, this book doesn't exist. I'm like, you, you really, you think I made this up, right? Did, did I Photoshop his picture too? I mean, what are you talking about? But yeah, I mean, that's how crazy this stuff is, right? And it's no different than what's in Kessler's Ghost in the Machine. When you read Ghost in the Machine, look, here it is. I'll show you guys. Look, here he is saying it's alchemy at the very end. He says, we are just doing, this is after he said drug the, the tap water, put sterilants in the water. Okay, that's what he says. He says, you want to understand what we're doing? It's alchemy. Jeez, you know, wow. it, and it's just all so. So when we sit here and we talk about, we talk about a the, the little things that we see building up all around us, uh, the headlines we build, we, we we collect the headlines, we see what uh, we see what leaders in in different churches are doing, and 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 how the these technocrat types are. I don't know. I guess just advertising what's coming. It it doesn't go. To, it really doesn't. It's not that far of a leap to say, "Hey, well, what's the craziest thing that we're going to see in the next 100 years?" And then to dig up all these books that you didn't even know that existed. I don't know. You know, I um, we can definitely do a whole series of talks on on this stuff. It's already almost the end of the show. Um, what I want to do now is I have at least one question that came in for both of you guys as an opinion. I'd like to do that. Um, throw it your way and then we can just uh you guys give your plugs and and we'll wrap this one up tonight i had such a good time there's just i mean there's so many different directions we can go in tim uh anything you want to if you had anything you want to say to whatever jay just threw out there go right ahead and then i'll let you um i'll let you take a first stab at this this question that came in anything you got we're talking about the same arthur kessler that was part of Camus crew and Simone de Beauvoir and and uh, and and Sartre, right? Jay, the guy that wrote well, he, Darkness he defected. He was a uh, Hungarian Marxist, high-level Marxist who defected yeah. to the British Empire. They made him a order the British Empire knight. I remember. And then he yeah. uh, wrote these books about how to basically depopulate, and then he killed himself. I, get, ah, I knew he killed himself. I didn't know he had. But he all took this it. Stuff. Yeah, he took it serious. Like he was. He was a. <laughs> this was a high level guy. Like this guy was high up in this conspiracy. Absolutely. I I didn't know that. I'm gonna relook at even a couple of books I have by him. I would just add this. A lot of folks don't understand how revolutionary the early Enlightenment was. I I mean even earlier than like the Scottish Enlightenment when you have. Bacon and Descartes saying what we need to do in the modern era at the level of what we're teaching at the university is to get rid of Aristotle's two of his four causes, formal cause and final cause. Both those guys say it, Bacon and Descartes, they're supposed to be opposites philosophically in terms of the history of thought. And they even name lots of their texts that come out of the empiricist movement. They name it like the Novum Organum, which mean, which, you know, Aristotle wrote the Organon. They're saying we're redoing, we're undoing Aristotelianism, and the precise reason that we're doing so is so that we can do the alchemy, so that we can do corpuscularianism. We're going to get rid of Aristotelian metaphysics, and we're going to get rid of the hardcore rules of logic, like like Jay mentioned, the principle of the excluded middle, principle of non-contradiction, principle of causation itself, all of what we'd call the logical axioms. These run with 
the Aristotelian West. We have to get rid of it all. We're going to go. The Royal Society of Science, like if you go and watch the um, Robert Downey Jr. Sherlock Holmes movies, these guys believe in magic with, with ICK. Those are great stuff. movies, by the way. They believe in corpuscularian. They believe in magic atoms. So it's unreal how all this stuff runs back to 1500s, 1600s. And it's unreal how it's all tightly woven together. That's that's what I've said. And a lot of those people that Tim's talking about <clears throat> at that time in the Enlightenment, they weren't just doing uh, natural science. They were involved in hermetic lodges. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. She, uh, well, like I said, it, it, it's rich. It, rich stuff. And, and those those Robert Downey Jr. Sherlock Holmes films, I love those. I, so rec- I. I recommend so those to a, to a... Jay, do you ever do any breakdowns on those? Yeah, yeah, I've got videos on those. Oh, I gotta go see those. I, I heard that there's a third one in the making. The first two, I I really enjoyed that one. Those those were really great. Um, yeah, Lord Blackwood is based on Crowley. He's a Crowleyan figure. That makes I sense. I thought he was. Yeah, yeah he yeah, is. Think, yeah, director that said that. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Uh, I, especially that second one. There's very few films out there that take that kind of behind. Well, the second one actually, believe it, or, that actually has the elites in the UK basically Moriarty is p- paired up with them to engineer world, world war one. Exactly. And that's actually what happened, right? Because it has the assassination of Franz Ferdinand done by this secret society, which oh, it's uh, the Serbian nationalist black hand. And I think I should think, I actually think that was British intelligence run to, to, it, to start world war one. And quickly kind of backs that up. Yeah. And that's what I was saying. I got like, it's been a while. I, uh, me and my wife watched that a couple of years. It was before the baby was born, so it was at least three years ago now. And when we were watching it, I remember getting goosebumps at the end of it when they're when they're in that uh, that artillery dump kind of thing, and the, the building is the, the movie is rolling to a conclusion, and you realize that the Holmes stumbles upon this gigantic operation that you know yep. was the precursor for all of the the, the wartime war supplies for yep. World War One. They were planning World War One, and um, damn, yeah, we, we got to do this this stuff. I, now, one last point on that that's really important. Yeah. Be, I don't mean to. I know you no, 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 but so the, the, the thing that's key there is that in the story, you get the impression that it's, it's Moriarty that's working with these secret, you know, high level elite people, which is true. And Moriarty seems to be this sort of professor slash British intelligence operative. But in reality, 221B Baker Street in the real world, that was actually a location of British intelligence. That was one of their, pla- one of their houses, one of their, their places. In the real world, so actually, and and in the story, uh, Holmes's brother, Mycroft, works for British intelligence, right? So I'm just saying that there's a little game that's being played there, like British intelligence is going to fight the bad guys in British intelligence, right? When it's like, okay, yeah, yeah sure. <laughs> it's a little bit of a hide the ball situation there. Um, here is a, a question that came in uh, from PDR one 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 on Rumble. It says Tim and or Jay. Have you read Pope Benedict's book, Jesus of Nazareth? It suggests that Jesus is the Torah and that the first communion occurred when Jesus fed the 5,000. Um, uh, Tim, why don't you take this one? I've read the first half of it, and I don't I don't remember that. That that doesn't sound like something he would say, uh, but, I, I, yeah, I have to punt. I've only, it's a two-part book. I only read the first half. I don't recall that from – that sounds like – the problem with – 
with 20th century Catholic theology, particularly the latter half of the 20th century, even the guys that aren't modernists are flirting with modernism and and they're trying to be creative. In, in Benedict's interview book uh, with Peter Sievold called um, Last Will and Testament, he admits like, look, we were just stone cold ennui bored with Thomism and the Thomistic manualist tradition. So, you know, I, I, this isn't a direct quote, but experimentation was rife and experimentation came out of Tübingen, you know, the, the same um, center of German, German liberal theology in Germany that, you know, there are other universities that surrounding Tübingen, but that was the one where all the bad stuff came out starting mm. in the 18th century with guys like uh, Adolf von Harnack. Uh, I don't think Benedict said it that way or believed it that way. And I'm, I'm not just being an apologist. I'll have to go look. You're going to have to go look because maybe he wrote it. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I think he believes the, 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 the you know, the sacramental dogmas. But I'll, I'll go take a look. And it's not your fault if you read it that way too often. Benedict, when he writes about the history of philosophy, is very clear. His Regensburg address is a gem. It's like six pages. And it's like, here are the three moments of dehellenization in the west protestant reformation liberal protestant theology and what we have now relativism cultural relativism whatever you call it it's ongoing so clear he wasn't a philosopher he was a dogmatic theologian and his dogmatic theology is where he gets more florid and less teutonic hmm. let's put it that way so it's ironic jp2 was a trained philosopher a phenomenologist and his philosophy is garbled it's muddled it's garbage um, but but Pope Benedict, his his kind of right hand man, and then his successor was not a philosopher, but his clearest writings are on philosophy. I would say rather than theology. But I don't I don't think he's an outright heretic or anything like that in theology. I'll, okay. I'll take another look. Okay. Well, uh, Jay, uh, what do you think? If you haven't read it, then what was the question? I have read Jesus of Nazareth. Okay. What so was the question? He again? said, uh, "PDR one 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 in Rumble says it suggests that Jesus is the Torah." and that the First Communion occurred when Jesus fed the 5,000. Uh, I do remember him talking about Jesus as the Torah. I don't know, I don't remember exactly what that's, what that's supposed to mean. The Torah and the Messiah, 119, 120. Um, but, I, I mean, maybe I have, he just means in a, in a general sense and not in the sense of literal you know eucharistic communion which right. is supposed to begin you know in the upper room uh so i don't know i'll top my head but a I mean, symbolic... a, in, in my view there's and i'm not trying to you know cause a problem here i think there's way more problematic statements that he says like tim said you know in his earlier theology he was a lot more radical so i think we can find uh more problematic statements like at the end of uh introduction to christianity he speaks as if the resurrection is non-physical i think that's a very bizarre statement i think this is a more problematic book than these together with habermas mm -hmm. dialectics that's a problematic thing yeah um and then he has another book which i <clears throat> when i was at catholic I, I read a lot of benedict i'm not bragging or but I, I read about six of his books um the one about how the old testament is still in force that's more problematic to me yeah Okay, well, there's, there's those are more problematic. There's another. Hey, do you have a page number on that? 
Um, that's Which one? I'm impressed that you did you say 119 120 I'm gonna go check well, that's where he's talking about Jesus as the Torah I just looked it up in the in the index he looked in the, the index, index. Wow. but I don't remember I don't have any notes on that page. Like I read that page, but I don't have any notes, which I would have noted because I wrote like questionable statements. I put a big question mark when I noticed something questionable, but. Um, well, Jay, the last so question. He says, he says, politi- I don't, do you need to go? I don't no, 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 no. I have, I have 15 more minutes left. I have one more question just for you, but yeah, go, if you're right, if you have the page, go ahead. Well, he's just talking about Jesus being the living Torah, walking around as the the, the Torah, like in person. And then he says um, stuff like, in our day, this freedom has been totally wrenched away from the godly perspective of communion, freedom from universality, and so for the legitimate secu- secularity of the state has been transformed into an absolute secularism. I don't see any problem with that. And then he says, for the believing Christian, the commandments of the Torah remain a decisive point of reference. So I don't know if he's talking about communion like Eucharistic communion. I think he's just talking about communion with Christ. I mean, right. that's what I I recall. But there's other places where he talks about Christ as a Torah in the book. So it might be another place where he talks about what this person's talking about. Gotcha. Well, here's here's another one. This can this comes in from Father Matt. Um, Father Matt asked Jay, uh, "What are your thoughts on the suspicions that Patriarch Bartholomew is essentially CIA deep state asset. I'll remember your, uh, and then he says he'll remember my grandmother in his mass tomorrow. Thank you, Father Matt. Um, do you have any uh, any suspicions on that? Oh, absolutely. Okay. I think it absolutely is. Yeah. We, uh, <clears throat> so former GOP consultant Jim Jotras wrote several essays two or three years ago that I've shared many, many times. We've done at least three two-hour podcasts with Jim Jotras Um you know, Jim went into a lot of details. He he wrote for many years for Chronicles Magazine, so he's a, he's a very well known you know paleocon writer out there. Uh, so I would just direct you to all of Jim's essays at <clears throat> Chronicles Magazine or at um, uh, what's the other Eastern? Oh, what is that website? I can't remember the name of the other uh, website Jim writes for, but yeah, if you find Jim's essays, uh, he talks about it, and uh, yeah, that's exactly what's going on. Okay, one hundred percent. Well, listen, uh, fellas, this has been, I, I love that we did this. I don't do these these kind of roundtables. Uh, well, I wouldn't call this a roundtable. We would need at least one more person to do that. But these, uh, this group call was really awesome, and I hope that we can do something like this again Absolutely. Uh, one day. Um, uh, Tim, why don't you let, or, or Jay, since you're already talking, let everybody know what you got coming up next when you go live, and then, uh, Tim, you plug what you got going on. Yeah, I'll make it quick. You can follow me over at jaysanalysis.com. I'm Jay Dyer on YouTube. Uh, websites <clears throat> got all the archives and all the stuff. The last one access to uh, for $4.95 a month. Uh, then I have a Rockfin, which, you know, kind of like Frank, we're over there pushing uh, free speech content on Rockfin. It's a great, great platform. Um, really like those guys. So support me at Rockfin. Also, my sponsor is Chalk.com. Best supplements out there. Use the promo code J50 to get 50% off. And my beloved sponsors, you mentioned Whitney Webb. Well, she's been on with Grand Theft World many, many times. So go follow Grand Theft World, Richard Groves, excellent podcast. <clears throat> and uh, we'll be playing live in uh, Austin, Texas, February 11th. You want to come see two hours of comedy, three hours of lectures, getting deep in the philosophy and the geopolitics. Then uh, go get the tickets at Eventbrite at the top of my Twitter. Me, Jamie, and BG Cumby, the philosopher of comedy, uh, all live in 
Austin, Texas, February 11th. That sounds wonderful. I, I got I got to start traveling a little bit more. Damn it! I need a, a private plane because I'm not playing. I'm not flying coach and breathing in everybody else's everybody else's bullshit air. Hey, uh, Tim, <laughs> t- Tim, what's what's going on with you, man? Tell everybody what's going. On. And also make sure that you you tell everybody a little bit more on where you are now uh, uh, going to be supported since uh, Patreon has done its thing to you. Please uh, emphasize yeah. that. Yeah, Frank, you've seen the RV, so that that's how we travel around. It's an awesome State. thing, man. That's awesome. Yeah. Great investment. Yeah. It's the only way to go. Well, I so I just got fucked with on Patreon on Tuesday, like I told people at the beginning of this hour, and it's it's they have an ultimatum down. I on on air, I typed them an email and and hit send, and I said, you know, convert your lives to Jesus Christ. I'm not taking these anti skittles videos down and you know peace and then they gave me my february monies but they're still trying to ultimatum me i'm currently under a 24-hour ultimatum to take down three particular videos i've done one of them on francis and decriminalization uh in the last week and a half i'm not going to be taking them down so you can find my stuff i i run uh retrograde online classical academy for adults and you can use it for homeschooling uh, timothyjgordon.com you can donate to me there we even have a monthly feature uh, if you go click donate or we just moved all we're moving all of our patreon support we're trying to shunt them to either subscribe star i think you two guys told me about subscribe star mm-hmm. and or to locals so it's on my site you can go to timothyjgordon.com and click donate and you can make a monthly donation it doesn't just have to be a one-time thing why not and uh subscribe star and locals so we're kind of diversifying the portfolio good as it were and trying to trying to get support there so that when these globalist luciferian types come knocking at your door or pull your account or whatever whatever pull a billion dollars out of your account like they did to yay then you'll be a little bit more equipped to fight back that's that's what i do though i've been canceled a number of times they canceled me as a teacher that got me out to mississippi and i just uh i like i like fighting these people like you guys too so so thanks for all the support people and yeah, this was a hell of a lot of fun, Frank. It, it really Jay. was. It really was. I'm I'm glad you guys were here tonight, and and I'm uh, I wish you all the best. And obviously, if there's anything I, I could ever do on my end to help you guys get the message out for whatever you're working on, and and lend a hand, you just let me know. You always got a friend over here. Both of you guys have a wonderful evening, and and uh, all the best to your families. You too. You too. All right. Good night, guys. All right. So there you go. There is uh, Tim and Jay. Wow. What a wonderful evening, huh? I think that was just great. Let's go and take a break. I know it's uh, it's uh, 8.50, but I have some super chats to read. We are definitely going to go over 9 o'clock. And you didn't have any of me last night, so I'm going to give you a little bit of overtime. Won't be too much, just enough to get things done. But, um, yeah, we'll be right back. COVID has taken this year, just since the outbreak, has taken more than 100 years. Look, here's the lives. It's just... It's a, when you think about it. Come on, man. Bottom line is, yay. 
twice as high. Take your lay, it's in a bang, reading rainbow. I can go anyway. Blazing the gold, leaning in a leaning rainbow. month of the year but it's an honest month it's a month that doesn't hold up life any better than it really is I mean look around here these buildings they, they look like they don't even have any lights in them during a work day and uh, something great happened here but it's over with and that's the way February is you can see it in the way people walk and how they look let's let's go just check out February this this says it all. This has a spring-like or floral pattern on it, but somebody on this February day has abandoned it with its broken shaft, like a desperate flinging off of something that's not true anymore. The expedition is getting desperate. People are throwing things aside. Look around downtown on a February workday. This looks like a place where people who are being punished are sent. If you notice the way people cross the street in February, it's different than in the summer. Nobody is tap dancing or breaking into a Rodgers and Hammerstein song. It's their lunch hour and they're just barely able to get across the street and hunker over a bowl of chili. Carbohydrates are big this time of year. Also, lotions because everybody is itchy and tired and irritable. Even the land is tired in February. Most of the birds who can afford it have gone to Florida. And the, the trees that once cheered us, they're hard to look at this month. It's as if there is some awful truth out there in the trees. It's hiding in the branches. Look at them. Something that's been bothering you for a long time is out there. What is it? You can almost see the shape of it when all the color is gone, but life is stripped down to the starkness of February. To try to hide the bleakness of February, man invented Valentine's Day and also Mardi Gras. But then February answered back with another holiday, Ash Wednesday. What other month could host a holiday that's designed to remind us that we're all going to die? That's February for you. It is bleak, it is honest, and it just tells you the way it really is. My father used to have a saying that if you can live through February, you'll live another year. With a whole other story, I'm Kevin Colleen. He knows too well how to manipulate the mob. Marcus Aurelius had a dream that was Rome, Proximo. This is not it. This is not it. Marcus Aurelius is dead, Maximus. We mortals are but shadows and dust. Shadows and dust, Maximus. Okay, so it's time to do some thanking people. We've got a nice, there's 10 people watching on, on Theta right now. Hats off to you over there in Theta. Thanks for everybody for being a uh, 
good company for me tonight. I thought I would forget how to do the show. Thank you, Father Matt. And thank you so much for remembering my grandmother and your mass tomorrow. Thank you. Angela. Angela Rose. Um, Brett says, I love your show. I would love it if you would please share my gay pharma bro music video. Keep doing what you're doing. God bless. Well, Brett, thank you for the super chat. Send me the link to my email. Um, I can't watch anything spontaneously on the air just in case it's really gay. Would need to warn somebody first. All right, let's see what else. Carmel says, hi, book club comment. Oh, by the way, book club is next Wednesday. We missed it last night because of my medical, my medical emergency. Um, but uh, it's next Wednesday, February 8th. We've got great stuff next week. That, that'll be right after the Jason Burmis episode. Um, but Carmel says, hi, book club comment. The stuff about time and how we see reality through its small lens is hard to wrap my head around. Chapter 14 is similar. Giant concept to absorb it in one pass. I'd appreciate you guys' take on it. Love the book, though. Thank you. Oh, don't worry. Me and Tim will go through... Um, we will go through those last chapters. And then in March, in March, it will be Brave New World with Jay Dyer. And you know... I'm not going to say it. But I want to do, do Alexi de Tocqueville democracy in america for sometime around june june and july those patriotic months i think that'd be really great and then i'll save the godfather for uh for the fall i'm trying to think of who to do democracy in america i have an idea but we'll see what happens no matter what even if i do one book club just with nobody i guess i can do that but it's always fun to, to have a friend and as you can see tonight, it's going to be a really good one. That'll be a 77-page-a-week thing with Brave New World to be able to get that done in the entire month of March. For it, so for it to be one month we're reading a book, that's 77 pages a week, just so you know. So you should be getting intermediate now. Let's go. Let's get show on the road over here. Thank you, Mel. Thank you. All right, over on Rumble, Christoa says, "Hope you're feeling better, Frank. I'm I'm doing better. I got to rest a little bit more, but I was able to do tonight, and I was almost almost able to to do last night. I told myself last night if I can get through Wednesday, if I can do the show and I can do book club and I can get obviously tonight because I had the two big guests tonight, then I was going to take Friday off, but I couldn't do it, so." Wednesday was my night off. So I'll see you tomorrow at 7. Wart guy says, Frank's a mountain climber. He go he going to keep on climbing. <laughs> thank, thank you. Thank you, PDR111, for your generosity and that great question for both Tim and Jay. And let's see here. Fredo, Fredo, Awakening, Fredo Awakening says, Is there a book that Jay has not read? Great show. Glad you're feeling better, Frank. I don't know. You'd be hard-pressed to find one he has not read a couple times. Cat Sky D, thanks, guys. Great show. I agree. It was a good one. Thank you, everybody, on Rumble. On Rockfin, 
Fishhead Montana says philosophy, religion, science, spirituality are all misconceived separations of what is simply the natural order of things, the study and practice of which we call alchemy. Um, Fishhead Montana, a little bit late, says, do either of you believe in biblical cosmology? So just wants to just wants to make sure that wants to see if uh, Tim and Jay are flat earthers. I'll ask them. I'll ask them next time they're on. Ask them what they think. But um, we'll get there eventually. Let's see. Pill.net. Foxhole on QuiteFrankly.tv. By the way, Thursday nights, I don't know if it's going to start tonight, but maybe next week. Thursday night is going to be Throwback Thursdays on the after show. We finally finally figured out what's going to be after Thursday. Then we have to figure out Tuesdays. But um, I think it's going to be a lot of old films, a lot of old cartoons, a lot of radio dramas, things like that. And maybe even some old, old, quite frankly, if we can do, who knows, we can go back into the archives. So I'll let you know about that for next week, what, what happens. Sean Joe, thank you. Jay Jewell, thank you. Grateful that your bowel problems were temporary. Yeah. Well, now I just feel a little bit of a rawness in my throat. Because you know what comes along with uh, bowel problems is uh, you, you, you get like a couple of them, maybe like a sore or like a pimple or a couple of them on your tongue. You know that? That's how I knew it had to be like viral running through me. Because the, the stomach and the mouth, you, a lot of that happens. And I felt one right underneath the tongue and it kind of feels like a sore throat is starting, but it's not. It's raw. So just a lot of mouth washing and clean. I mean, I'm very big with the hygiene, but this is this was obviously an internal issue. Of course, I didn't have any goat kefir, and don't worry. But next time anything like this happens, which it doesn't happen often, I will have my activated charcoal ready. It should be waiting on my front doorstep right now from Amazon. I got in touch with Jay Goulinello right away. I said, "What the hell should I be?" I said, "Because I, I got some. Uh, I actually, I bought some ginger beer." For New Year's Eve, thinking that okay, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get like a six pack of this really good ginger beer, Fever Tree ginger beer premium. So I got some ginger beer and I got some tonic water just in case people want to make themselves some gin and tonics or, you know, like a you know a Moscow Mule or Irish Mule or something like that. I just made sure that there was enough options for people whatever the hell they wanted to have. Obviously, people are a little bit more simplistic. They just gave themselves uh, drinks that were neat. They didn't want to doll it up, so I had leftover ginger beer. I said, you know what? Ginger. It has, this has more ginger. I mean, it's, there's sugar in there, but uh, it has more ginger than ginger ale. A lot of ginger ale brands have actually been outed for not having ginger in there at all. So I said, I'm going to go for the ginger beer. And that really settled my stomach a lot last night. Even though it's a little carbonated, I let it flatten out just a little bit more. But, um, so I was looking into all the ginger stuff, and then that's when Jay Gulinello said, uh, do you have any activated charcoal? I said, no. But I want to know more about charcoal. That's one of the things, the topics I gave Jay for the next time he's on. I said, I want to know about charcoal. Because I've been, I've been listening to this stuff about how it's a, uh, it's a lifesaver. So, that'll be, I have it now. Maybe I'll take one tomorrow just to make sure that my problems are behind me. My problem was behind me. 
All right, Distilled. Thank you so much. Well, look at all these cookies from Distilled. Thank you. Wow. And then Ginger45. I'm just talking about Ginger. All these cookies. There's a cookie fight. Mr. Pete, Pam D. Curious Patriots is hoping the family is well, frankly. Thank you so much, Curious. Mr. Pete, Curious again. Ginger, Mr. Pete, everybody's fighting with each other. C. Blanche says, last time I'm going to say this, Hunter is the smartest guy I know, so shut your fucking mouth, stupid dummy. Hunter is, he's the smartest man I know. Thank you. Mr. Pete, Paulie, 9363. Ginger, it's, I'm just getting showered in cookies now. Katie B says, so glad you're feeling better and back on the air tonight, Frank. Thank you. 9-11 got my attention, she said, and brought me back to God after a wild early life. Young generation maybe needs a wake-up call. Yeah, I don't know what the hell it's going to be, though. Um, there's plenty of there's plenty of wake-up call around us. Like I said, it's easy to confirm that evil is real right now. And if evil, if evil is real, then there must be a counterbalance to it. And Andy... Just got into a bronze tier subscription means Anne is going to be uh, getting emails on the weekend for Sunday streams and be put into the monthly subscriber giveaways, all that stuff. Remember, Foxhole subscriptions are just as good as anywhere else. Jay Jewel, thank you. Mr. Pete, Ginger again, a phenomenal show tonight. Quite frankly, God bless you and your family. River Pike says, wake up people. And glad that you're better, Frank. Smokey Oki says, great show as always, Frank. Uh, glad that you're feeling better and hope that you have Jay and Tim on again. Thank you. Wasn't that great? That was uh, really great, especially especially since we have more than enough there to go on. You know, Jay uh, Jay is, is, is known for his debating, too, debating Catholicism, Protestantism, uh, Protestantism, um, one thing or another, uh, Eastern religion. So it was great to have two guys that I know that if— if it was really time to take the gloves off, they, they can probably go at it as far as comparing, you know, theology and all that other, which is not my forte. I'm born and raised Catholic. I'm taking more of a, more and more of an interest. You know about my, my personal journey. Um, but, uh, I, I, I'm not getting involved with that and I'm, I'm not moderator really much, but it was so great to, to come together and know that everybody has differences. But uh, for the most part, I think we have the most the most precious things in common. And it turned out to be a really awesome, again, information-packed conversation. And then Stostube just dropped an entire sleeve of cookies on me. Thank you so much. Shout out. Shout out. Gin incredible. Jay Jewel, Mr. Pete, Ginger, they're all killing me over here. I am going to drop the scratching like nobody's ever seen before right now thank you guys thank you um i have nothing else to say you've been wonderful to me um wart guy on rumble says chris ann hall for de tocqueville book club partner imagine that that's actually who i was imagining wart guy that's who i was imagining so um i'm gonna give her a call and see if she wants to do it with me can you imagine that? That'd be great. All right. That's it. That's all I have for you. You guys have been fantastic to me as always. Um, thank you for your prayers, and, and we'll see you tomorrow night, 7 o'clock. It's Friday, so we're going to talk about I, – I have a couple of topics that I think I can just open up the, the lines and have you guys and gals call in because we haven't done calls in about three days. 
that I like to get a lot of it in. I don't know if Matt will be by. I don't think so. I think he said he's going to be upstate this weekend, so he might not be around. Uh, his birthday is Monday. So um, it might just be me tomorrow night. So you just got to live with it. Sorry. I hope it's not too disappointing. That's all I have. All right. I'm just stalling before I get my... Here you go. Bye. I'll catch you on the flip side. Quite frankly, is film for our live studio audience, and now our super chatter, starting with Hold the Fort, Carmel. Thank you, uh, PDR one one one, Wart Guy, Christoa. Uh, there's more. Cat Sky D and Fred Awakening. Thank you to Fishhead Montana. Very loyal over there on Rockfin. Love seeing you out there, Fishhead. Love you. And to all my good friends on Foxhole who are hanging out on, quite frankly, .tv. The scratching has been released. And we have more good stuff for you tomorrow night as we close out the week. Enjoy yourself, ladies and gentlemen. I will see you soon. They sent me to a psychiatrist all morning. I took like a million tests. A psychiatrist? Yeah, you know, because I got suspended and everything. They sent you to a psychiatrist? Yeah. But that's crazy. That's all nonsense. That's nothing but a, a racket for the Jews.